15, beginning at verse 1. The Bible reads, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues. But even more that you prophesy for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So today, as we continue in our verses series, let's get into the subject of prophecy versus tongues. Prophecy versus tongues, or this message could also be entitled, People Who Don't Speak in Tongues versus people who do speak in tongues. And let's pray and let's talk to God and ask him for some help. Father, thank you that we have an opportunity today to study your word, to have you speak to us and to have you teach us. Lord, as we have been interacting this week, you know that my heart's cry is to bring clarity to your people because this subject, has been one that has brought a lot of confusion, dare I say even division in the body of Christ. So help me with the help of your Holy Spirit, the one whom you gave me uh, to teach, the spiritual gift of teaching. But even with the gift of teaching comes the ability that he takes the truth and allows it to make sense to your people. So Lord, would you do that today? Again, just clear up some things that we have, many of us have struggled with for years as Christians. I know one sermon can't fix it, but I know it can help. So Lord, touch and use this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Prophecy versus tongues. When you think about verses, you think about battles, the church at Corinth had quite a number of battles. This church that the Apostle Paul founded and established, they had a lot of fights. And so when you read through 1 Corinthians and even 2 Corinthians, you see all kind of conflicts going on. They have divisions in this church. People saying that I am with Paul and I am with Apollos. I am with Cephas or Peter. And so they had schisms and divisions in this church. And they also had lawsuits in this church where they were going before secular magistrates in order to reconcile things or to work things out. And Paul was saying, can't you handle that in the church? Must you air the church's laundry, the dirty laundry before the world? So there were Christians suing other Christians as opposed to turning the other cheek and giving them your coat as well as your cloak. No, no. They were fighting in that church. And then we all know about the sexual immorality in Corinth that was so prevalent. 
um, where they had to put someone out of the fellowship who uh, was living in sin. And they also got into it over the Lord's Supper because we just remembered the Lord today and we use the cup and the bread. But when they would have communion, and we've done it this way a couple of times, communion would also be accompanied with a meal. And in the meal where people would break bread together and fellowship, have table fellowship, they would also remember the Lord with the bread and with the cup. But what was going on at that church is that there were some people jumping in front of other people and they were eating and they were not waiting for others to come. They were coming to the communion for the sake of gorging themselves. And so there was a lot of things out of whack with this church, a very gifted church, but also a very carnal church. A church that also had battles when Paul had to rebuke them because they made a verbal commitment, a verbal pledge to help some of the poor Christians in the area that had been plagued by famine. And they were going to send relief, but they never followed through. And so this church had a lot of conflict, a lot of issues. Well, one of the ones that is probably known the most for is its um, controversy surrounding spiritual gifts. And so Paul spends three chapters dealing with spiritual gifts, chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14. And when we read this letter, there is a corrective spin on Paul's commentary. And so when we look at this, we have to go to the book of Corinthians to see that this is as much a letter of correction as it is about instruction. Sometimes it's a letter of instruction on what not to do. Um, and so he has to regulate how, as an apostle, how God expects spiritual gifts to operate in the local church. And so because there was so much flesh, so much carnality, so much posturing for the limelight, um, there was confusion in the church. And there were people seeking after, as I'll say, the sign gifts because they wanted to appear more spiritual than maybe what they really were. And they saw someone else prophesying or speaking in tongues or someone else with a hymn or with a song. And they wanted that attention. So when they came to church to worship, there was confusion because everybody was running for the center stage. They had a tongue. They had a word they had a word of knowledge. And Paul said, wait a minute, wait a minute. God is not, he is not the author of confusion. So let me try to give you some standards to help bring order in the church at Corinth. And so there was a verses that was going on between prophecy and tongues. And since the subject of tongues is often a topic of division, I will focus this message on tongues primarily. Because it's been such a topic of division, especially depending upon where you come from as far as your church background, um, today I, I desire that we foster unity on this topic. Um, I cannot say it all. I do not know it all. And I cannot fix it all. Um, so bear in mind, as I take a few moments, I cannot say it all. So for those who may be listening online who want to critique my hermeneutics because I did not go into this passage or that passage, once again, I say to you, 
or any other theologians who are here today. I cannot say it all. Uh, and I can also admit I do not know it all. Um, my view of tongues has evolved over the years. Can somebody say thank you, Jesus? Because what that means is that I remain teachable. And I think it's dangerous when Christians stop being teachable. Now, for me, for Chris Williamson, the topic of tongues is a secondary subject matter in the kingdom. For some people, it's a primary subject matter. But for me, primary subject matters I do not change on. And that is a few things like the authority of Scripture, the infallibility of Scripture, the inspiration of Scripture. I'm not changing on that. I'm not changing on the person and work of Jesus Christ. I'm not changing on the nature of God. I'm not changing on what uh, brings salvation, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. For me, those are the essentials. And so there are other things in the kingdom of God, many, many topics that some people choose to major on, but I'm here to let you know that I do not major on this. It's important, but it's not for me something to die for. Um, I will die over the person and work of Jesus. I will go to war with anyone who says that he is not the door or the way to heaven. But as far as experiences in the Holy Spirit, there is room for dialogue within the body of Christ and under the umbrella of Christendom. So my views have been evolving because when I grew up, I grew up in a Baptist church that experienced the glory of the Lord, but not the glory of the Lord through speaking in tongues. That's how I grew up. And many of us, if we're honest, we are creatures of culture. And how we grew up has a lot of influence on who we are today, and we can't deny that. But we also have to be honest with the fact that we come to the Bible with cultural slants based on how we grew up, where we grew up, how we were taught, what denomination we came from. Uh, and unfortunately, a lot of Christians are like parrots. They spend a lot of time saying what other people said to them. And they don't take the time to study the Bible for themselves and develop an objective framework. Um, you're not to be a parrot. God didn't give you a bird brain. God gave you a brain that you may love him with your mind, and thus it means interacting with Scripture. It means being teachable. It means letting the Spirit teach you and people with the gift of teaching in the body, but recognizing that no one church, no one denomination has it all or knows it all, and perhaps God does that so that we can depend on one another. Because there are some people in the body who have great insight on certain topics, and, and so we need to listen. But if we're honest, we come with biases, we come with slants based on our tradition. And so I went to a Baptist university, conservative Baptist university. And so the subject of tongues was looked down upon. Um, it was taught to us in seminary that tongues have ceased from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So there was a slant, I would say even a bias concerning how hermeneutics was presented and how people developed their understanding of systematic theology. I came up under that. And there would be times at Liberty University, and I thank God for Liberty. It laid a great foundation in my life in so many ways. Um, but it's not perfect any more than this church is perfect uh, because, again, no one knows it all. Um, but every now and then there would be someone who would come to Liberty from a charismatic or Pentecostal background. 
and they would be outnumbered. And I would feel sorry for them folks sometimes because they're coming from their experience. But the way fights would start is that they would try to say that everybody needed to speak in tongues. And people from the conservative side would say nobody needed to speak in tongues. And thus the fight began. And because, you know, we were a gang and we outnumbered the few of the Pentecostal folks that came, a lot of those fights didn't last long. And then I began to wonder, how would it be if I left Liberty and went to Oral Roberts University? And I'm now in a sea of Pentecostal folks, and now I'm trying to tell them, you don't need tongues. Oh, man, can you imagine what that would be like? But again, we worship in clusters and in portions of the body that, again, we're used to certain experiences and expressions and doctrinal belief systems. And so I'm not here to say that that is bad. I'm not here to say that it's right because everything that you grew up with isn't right any more than what I grew up with. It's like when Jesus told the woman of Samaria at the well when she said, our fathers worship on Mount Gerizim. Jesus said, your fathers are wrong. Because the place to worship is in Jerusalem, not here on this mountain. And then he says, let's even break it down. Worship is not even where you go, but it's who you know because God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth, whether you're here in Gerizim or in, Mount, or in Jerusalem on Mount Zion. But he had to say to her, your parents and your grandparents, they were wrong in how they taught you the word. So it is possible for all of us that we can be very sincere, but we can also be very sincerely wrong. But are we teachable? Can we really read the scriptures objectively? Or do we skip certain portions because it doesn't fit within our systematic theological framework? Uh, and, and, and again, it's tough because it lets us know that some of the people we honored, maybe they twisted some scriptures a little bit. Maybe they forced some things. And, uh, and again, I think God, you know, as he says in Corinthians, we know in part I'm preaching in part, but one day when perfection comes, we're going to know fully as we're fully known. No one knows it all, which is why we need to major not on knowledge, not on experience, but on love. And I think that's what he's getting at, and that's what we've got to get at, because one of the reasons Strong Tower has been able to walk through this, because we are not only a multiracial church, a multi-economic church, we're a multi denominational church and the reason why I believe we haven't had too many fights up in here we've had a couple over the years but we haven't fought over this is because we have truly made the main thing the main thing the main one the main one and so again and when we talk about these things hopefully an environment has been created here where it's not about having to be right but hopefully we can all be teachable and say would you teach me what you know hmm I have it from a different perspective. Here's what I think. And together we submit it to the will of God, to the word of God, to the spirit of God. It takes time to develop that kind of safety with people where you think that they're not here, again, to win an argument. But they're really here to learn with you. Um, when we first started the church, again, I'm coming from a conservative place. I'm the guy that thought that the church was supposed to be a black church. And God let me know, uh-uh, no, 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 it's going to be a diverse church. So I stopped trying to give God my ideas. I still try to not do that. 
And then he's bringing in these people from Church of Christ background, Primitive Baptist, uh, uh, Pentecostal, uh, Assemblies of God, Church of God in Christ. He's bringing all these different denominations together. And early on, I had to, again, I had to focus on the word, the whole council, and I had to teach us to be objective hearers of the word and not just, I definitely wasn't going to tickle anybody ears. I'm going to speak the truth uh, to the degree that God allows me to see it. But here's what helped me open up on the subject of tongues. It was Al James and Kirk Whalum. It's people. Before, when I would talk to people who believed in tongues, that would be a battle. But with these two men, seasoned men in the Lord, who loved God, and I couldn't deny that, as I spent time with them and as I would pray with them, I noticed that they prayed in languages that I did not pray in. I prayed in English. Yeah, I studied a little Greek and Hebrew, but I wasn't praying in that. And so these guys, we would pray, and, and there was no debate. They weren't telling me that I had to do what they were doing. And I surely wasn't telling them that they needed to stop what they were doing. So as a result of the love in our relationship, my understanding and looking at the scriptures a little bit more objectively opened up because I knew that these two men loved God. They knew that I loved God. They weren't trying to regulate my experience with the spirit, and I wasn't trying to regulate their experience in the spirit. So as a result, it caused me to open up and see, Lord, what are you saying, as opposed to just looking at it through the lens that had been handed to me by conservative evangelical teachers and leaders. Wow. And I am still learning. And I pray that love will always be um, the bottom line in my relationships and not doctrinal correctness, that you have to believe like me in order to be with me. <laughs> or that I have to believe like you in order to be validated by you. Oh, no, no, no. Again, if we believe in Jesus, we're all right. If we believe he's the son of God, the Messiah who is coming to the world, then the other things we can agree to disagree on, and we can still walk in agreement. Having a diverse church, it keeps us from becoming ethnocentric. What I mean by that is ethno comes from the word ethnos or nation. Centric means center. Uh, America is an ethnocentric nation, meaning that we think we're in the center of everything and everybody else is around us, that we are right and everybody else is wrong. And when you roll with people who are just like you, who believe everything like you, you tend to think that that's how it ought to be. And everybody else around me is, you become not only ethnocentric, but egocentric. But when you have other people around you with different experiences and you love them, you now become Christocentric and not ethnocentric or not denominational centric. So at Strong Tower, it has truly been about lifting Jesus up, his word being the authority, all of us being teachable, all of us learning, especially on subjects that can be divisive. I am tired of the devil dividing the body of Christ over the work of the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit came to bring unity to the body of Christ. So if the Holy Spirit came to bring unity and we keep dividing over the things that the Holy Spirit brings, that must mean we're just like the Corinthians because we're getting more in the flesh than in the spirit. It's more about us than about God's kingdom. But I repent, and I say, Lord, have your way. And I'm so thankful to be around other believers 
We talked last week, when you go and see other believers around the world, it expands your understanding of the kingdom, that it's not all about America, it's not all about Nashville, it's not all about Strong Tower or where you came from. God is so much bigger than this. The Bible says in Psalm 115 that God lives in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases, which also means blowing up your systematic theology box whenever he wants. And that goes for conservatives as well as for so-called Pentecostals or moderates or liberals. He can blow it up whenever he wants. Matter of fact, whenever I read the Bible, he's blowing up stuff, you know, because I come and I want to keep it safe and God just keeps shaking me and and blowing it up because ultimately, man, I want to hold on to him, not the doctrine. Now, Titus 2.1 does tell me as a pastor that I am to teach sound doctrine. We have to have sound doctrine because there's so many things out here that blow us all over the place and can lead us astray, can be filled with gangrene. So we got to watch and we got to test the spirits because everyone who speaks about God is not of God or from God or staying consistent with the word of God. So the word sound in Titus chapter 2 is the word hujine which is where we get hygiene from. And when someone is hygienic, that means that they have a balanced life. The four food groups, and they eat well, and they take care of themselves. They, they, they bathe on a regular. They dress well and all this stuff. And so when the Bible says have sound doctrine, it's saying have balanced, healthy, hygienic doctrine because no minister has perfect doctrine. Hopefully we're all learning from the master because when the perfect comes, Jesus is going to teach the word. And the, 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 the word is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the seas, the Bible says. So Jesus is coming, and he's going to set a lot of us straight. And that goes for John MacArthur. That goes for Charles Swindoll. That goes for Tony Evans. That goes for any of your fake K. Arthur. You name your favorite teacher. They do not know it all, and Jesus is coming. He's the one who wrote the textbook, and he's going to come and tell every student what is right. But above all, When I stand before him, he's not going to first and foremost judge me on doctrine. He's going to judge me on did I love my neighbor? Did I love those who were incarcerated, those who were poor, those who were naked, those who were hungry, those who were in prison? That's what he wants to know about my love, not my knowledge. Are you hanging with me so far? So that being said, let's dive in. There are two types of tongues mentioned in the Bible. And this is something I didn't learn from a book. This is something that God is teaching me. Again, he's taking this little brain and he's feeding it with good stuff. There are two types of tongues mentioned, and I believe they are tongues spoken to men and tongues spoken to God. Two types of tongues, tongues spoken to men and tongues spoken to God. We will put these notes on the website this week in case you miss something. Number one, let's talk real quickly about tongues spoken to God. Turn over to Acts chapter 2. Excuse me, tongue spoken to men. Turn over to Acts chapter 2. I'm sure your story is a lot like mine. You grew up hearing different things against or for. and Things weren't always said in love. There was an arrogance that came, a division that came. Lord, hmm, break that down. Tongue spoken to men. This is when God gives, listen to this, some Christians the ability to speak to men in a known human language that the speakers did not previously know 
for the purposes of validating the gospel message and a people group's conversion to Christ. It'll all make sense in a moment. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. This is speaking of the 120 disciples. Christ has died, resurrected, and ascended to heaven. He told them to wait for the promise of the Father, and they were waiting and they were praying in the upper room, men and women together. Um, and the Bible says in verse 2, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All right, let's stop right there at verse 4 for one moment. Here's where a lot of the controversy comes, especially for those of you who have had uh, fights with people, arguments, disagreements with people over whether or not you have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit or not, because it'll say in chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, the Holy Spirit comes. And so folks would say the baptism of the Holy Spirit has come. And when the baptism of the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, those in the upper room began to speak in other tongues. So those who say the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the evidence of speaking in tongues. If you have not spoken in tongues, you have not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said the baptism is coming. Chapter 2, it happens. They speak in tongues. The baptism of the Holy Spirit equals speaking in tongues. And that was used on me in many conversations with people who mean well, again, who are sincere but who are sincerely wrong who are taking the scripture out of context. Just a couple of things on that. Uh, when they say you have to speak in tongues as evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you can then ask your loving friends, hopefully they're loving, you can say, now, what about the tongues of fire and the sudden wind and the, and the wind that can be heard? Uh, uh, does that come too with the baptism of the Holy Spirit? No, no, not that part, just the speaking in tongues. Wait a minute. How are you going to get selective now? Because if it was the baptism that he said you're going to get on the day of Pentecost, there was wind that came, there was fire. There was earth too, earth, wind, and fire. And so, <laughs> speaking in tongues. So, you spoke in tongues, but where's the fire and the wind? And so, uh, well, uh, and then we need to also, the best way to interpret Scripture is with Scripture. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when he was speaking to the church, he said for verse 13 of chapter 12, for we have all been baptized by one spirit into the body of Christ and have been given one spirit to drink, whether Jews or Greeks, bond or free. And he says to the church in Corinth, you have all been baptized in the Holy Spirit. But then he asked the question in verse 30, but do all speak in tongues? And the answer is no. So let's stop trying to say that the baptism of the Holy Spirit must be accompanied with speaking in tongues. After the day of Pentecost, nothing ever happened that way again. That was a one-time occurrence. And the danger of trying to live our Christian life with, by having teachers who don't have a good hold of hermeneutics or the science of Bible interpretation is that they take passages way out of context 
or they use them with slants and biases to support an agenda. Because, again, we must let the scripture interpret the scripture. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit for that group was different for every other group. So for me, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I've been placed into the body of Christ. I've been immersed in Christ. And if you know Christ, you have too. And for some of us, we speak in tongues. Others of us, we don't. But that doesn't mean we're not baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. Hang with me. I I still got a few more places to go. Verse 5, it says, And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Stop and pause. Jews are in Jerusalem for Passover. They're from all over the then known world. They are bilingual, meaning that they speak not only Hebrew or Aramaic, but they also speak the language of where they had been dispersed. And so he's going to list various nations Uh, where they came from as they came into Jerusalem for Passover. So when the Galileans, as they were described, came out of the church house, came out of the upper room into the street, first the sound of wind got the people's attention. Then when the 120 came out, they began speaking in the languages of the people who were present that day. So in this case... These were tongues spoken to men, and these happened to be known languages unknown previously to the speaker. It was a miracle from God. So as these people from other countries who know that these folks are Galilean, probably because of their accent, they're hearing them speak from their own language. In verse 7, they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans, and how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? And then it begins to name the different nations. Verse 12, so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this mean? Stop. Why did God do that? Well, God said in the book of Isaiah, I believe it's chapter 28, verses 11 and 12, that he was going to speak to his people, the Jews, by the tongues of people from other nations. But even then, they would not believe. And so what we have here is a fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah 28 where the Jews went to speak to their people with the tongues of other nations. But many of them would not repent. Now, 3,000 would, but not everyone. In a minute, we're going to read how there were some who mocked them, which means they didn't believe them. So God used this, and as Paul called it out later in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, tongues then are for a sign To unbelievers. Tongues spoken to men are a sign for unbelievers to get their attention to hear the gospel message, but also to validate the conversion of those doing the speaking. Because now what they're saying is because of this phenomenon, these people must be true believers. So so let me say it this way. God used this to get the people to come out and to listen and to say, what's going on? Peter used that moment to start preaching the gospel. And you read about that in the rest of chapter 2. He begins to speak the gospel. And the Bible says, after he shared the good news of Jesus Christ 
and how uh, Jesus had been crucified, buried, but it was impossible for death to hold him. He got up from the grave. He said that God has made him both Lord and Christ. And they said, what must we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Your sins will be forgiven. So at that moment, 3,000 people responded to the gospel, and they were added to the church that day. So they went from 120 to 3,120, and God used the tongue miracle of speaking to men in a known language that was previously unknown to the speaker in order to validate the presence of the Lord, and to show the group that these folks have been converted. Because Peter went on to say that what you see and what you hear going on out here, Jesus did this in accordance to Joel chapter 2. He poured out his spirit on all flesh, men and women. And we're speaking in other languages right now. And the reason why you got to believe this because you're seeing and hearing it, which means that Jesus can't be dead because a dead man can't pour out the spirit. He is alive. He did this. And they got converted. But here's where we got to be careful. Because when they got converted, there is no mention in the historical book of Acts that more wind came, that fire came, and that those 3,000 spoke in other languages. Doesn't say it. So we don't want to go beyond what is written, but the assumption is it was not necessary for their salvation. Did they have Jesus? Yes. Did they have the Holy Spirit? Yes. But they didn't have the same experience that the ones in the upper room had. And that is a problem in the body of Christ. We have a great experience with the Lord, and then we try to make sure everybody has that same experience. And if they don't have that experience, you must really don't know God. Wait a minute. Don't become ethno-egocentric up in here. God reserves the right to work differently with different people. So don't shove that on me. If that was your experience, praise God. The 3,000 ones saying, wait a minute, where's the wind? Where's the fire? Where's my tongues? they like, no, where's my Jesus? He's in my heart. Are you with me so far? Well, go on over to chapter. Well, before we go there, let me throw this out at you too. What is clear is that they spoke in human dialect. But I want to also suggest to you that they may have also started speaking in tongues to God as well in terms of uh, 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 a tongue of intercession and worship and praise and adoration, which would have been, as we'll see in a moment, an angelic tongue or ecstatic speech. Pastor, why do you say that? Because there were people who thought that they were drunk. And if you are drunk, the characteristics of being drunk is that you shout, you dance, you know, you're, you're jumping around. And they're seeing these people come out of the upper room, and I don't think they came out so conservatively. <laughs> and they start speaking the word of God. Why didn't the spirit bring the oil of gladness and joy, and they come out? Because as we're going to see in a minute through Acts chapter 10, there's some comparisons that we need to look at, but it says that they were magnifying God and they were being mocked. So not only were they communicating to men, I want to say it was possible they were worshiping God in that moment. A whole lot of things were being spoken. I wasn't taught this in school. 
These are things I'm learning as I interact with other folks who have just as much. And here's a great thing how God does it in his kingdom. You have great warriors that God has used. Some have spoken in tongues. Some haven't spoken in tongues. So why do we keep fighting over this? Mm, mm, mm. Well, Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Go there real quick. Acts 10. Salvation has come to the Jew first, now to the Gentile. Peter goes to Cornelius' house. He's a European. He's a, a Roman soldier who had received a vision from God. He was a seeker, but he wasn't saved. So God sends Peter to him to give him the gospel because Jesus told them, you're going to be witness for, witnesses for me, not only in Jerusalem, and Judea with your own people, but I need you to go into Samaria with those folks and to the uttermost parts of the world with Gentile people. And they weren't trying to leave Jerusalem. You'll see in chapter 12, when persecution breaks and hits the church, they were forced out to the world. But in this case, God had to send Peter a vision, had to give Cornelius a vision, and even then Peter wasn't even sure on why he was going to go talk to this Gentile. But while he's preaching, the Holy Ghost had his way. Holy Ghost, have your way. Verse 44. Oh, I hope you're with me. While Peter was still speaking these words, he's just speaking the gospel. The Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. He didn't even give an invitation. He didn't say, just as I am, keyboardist, play it five times. Let's call the sinners down. <laughs> no, he's just speaking. And man, they heard the good news that Jesus came. Because he loves us to save us from our sin. He died for us. He rose again from the grave. And they snatched those words out of the air by faith and received Jesus into their heart. So while he's in his third point, Holy Ghost just took over that time. My God. Verse 45. And those of the circumcision, you know, because Peter brought some folk with him, some Jews with him, who believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And then later in chapter 11, Peter is going to have to confront a group of Jews who are criticizing Peter for going into the home of a Gentile and eating with them, breaking tradition. And Peter had said, wait a minute now, hold on, y'all need to understand what God was up to. And then he said, who was I to resist the move of the Holy Spirit? Because God gave them the same spirit that he gave us. By one spirit, Jews and Gentiles are coming together. And the way that Peter knew that they had received the same spirit was because he said, they began to speak in tongues just like we did. What kind of tongues did they speak in? Known languages. So Cornelius' group, those folks in his house, began to speak in languages which validated their conversion to the Jews who had been there. But I also want to throw in that not only were they probably speaking languages that were known to men, they may have been speaking languages to God because they're magnifying God. So now they're drunk with the Spirit, and they're praising God. Why not? Why not? Peter gets all excited, the one who didn't even want to come. Then he said, oh, my, look at how the Holy Spirit, let's get some water and start baptizing these folks. And then he got the nerve to stay a few days. Revival broke out. Who brought it? The Holy Spirit. So when we sing those songs for worship, they are prayers. Holy Spirit, fill this atmosphere, come and take over. Those are our prayers. We don't have time for the arm of flesh. 
We need the Holy Spirit to work. Ah, boy. So finally, tongues spoken to God. You see tongues spoken to men. Now tongues spoken to God. This is when God gives some Christians the ability to speak to him in ecstatic speech or a heavenly language that the speakers did not previously know for the purposes of intercession, worship, and prophetic revelation. You get it? Now, the tongue spoken to men. Pastor, can that happen again? Of course it can happen again. God is God. He does whatever he pleases. But with our advancements in linguistics and being able to translate uh, unknown languages into languages with an alphabet and all that kind of stuff and putting the Bible in people's languages, you know, there have been a lot of advancements. So is it necessary for me if I'm out in the bush somewhere to speak the language of a bushman? God can do it. But God may also say, I want you to stay here and live amongst the people and develop a language with them. And could that not be a demonstration of the gift of tongues today that some missionaries have where they can pick up languages quickly? They can interpret languages easier than most. Is that not manifestation of tongues and interpretation? Could be. But now the one that causes so much controversy, and that is when tongues are spoken to God. And as I said, this is when he gives some Christians, not all Christians, the ability to speak to him in ecstatic speech or heavenly language that the speakers did not previously know for the purposes of what? Intercession. Paul said that he prayed with his mind and he prayed in the spirit. There are people who pray in their language, their, their natural language, and then there are people in the body of Christ who are able to pray in the spirit. In a heavenly language. And then also for worship. Paul says, I sing with my spirit and I sing with my mind. There are some of us in the body of Christ who worship in other languages. But then also there is prophetic revelation. And that is sometimes when God gives someone a word from heaven. But it's not given to them as in a word of prophecy that is stated in the language of the people. No, it's given in tongues. So God says there has to be someone there to interpret what was said from heaven in the language of the people. So therefore, again, this gift, it has many facets to it. It's about intercession and worship and even prophetic revelation. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. First Corinthians chapter 14. Let's start at verse 1 again. Then I'm going to hit a few more verses. Paul's telling this church to pursue love. Why? Because they have been pursuing self. When you're pursuing self, you're not in love because love is concerned about other people. It doesn't seek its own. It's seeking the interests of others. So he's like, church, I need y'all to pursue love. I need you to desire spiritual gifts, not carnality, not performances, but especially that you may prophesy. Um, because he's going to say a minute that prophecy is superior to tongues unless there's an interpretation. Because the church needs edification. And edification can only come through understanding. So hang with me. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Stop and pause. Remember, you can, according to Acts, speak to men with tongues, known languages. But right here he says that there is also the ability for some to speak to God with the tongue. For no one understands him. And I've been in many a church services where I don't know what this lady next to me is saying. 
I've been at many prayer altars, and I don't know what the brother next to me is saying. And God says, however, in the spirit, he's speaking mysteries. That person doesn't even know what they're saying. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Why is that person edified? Because whenever you get into the presence of the Lord, you're built up, you're edified. Whenever we worship, we get edified. Whenever we pray, we get edified. So when this person is using the gift that God has given them, they are being edified. But he who prophesies edifies the church. There's nothing like getting a word from God in your church. It builds up the church. And so it's about edification of the body. Verse 5, I wish you all spoke with tongues, which means all of you don't. I wish you all did it. And I want to say that as an apostle, he is probably saying, I wish you all did it the right way. I wish you all did it properly. He says, I wish you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Now, some would say today, is it necessary to have someone speak a word of tongues to the body having been interpreted for the purpose of edification? Perhaps. Sure. Why not? I've only been in one church service where I've seen it happen. And what was translated in that instance for me, this is my experience. They did not say anything that God did not already say in his word. So for me, I am still working through the prophecy of scripture and I'm not so sure I need additional prophecy. Now, if you give it, I'm going to test it. And I'm going to test it with this book right here. And that's even if someone comes up with a word of prophecy, because prophecy is two-dimensional. It deals with speaking the truth in the present, but also predicting the future. So there are two gamuts to the gift of prophecy. I have the gift of prophecy. Not so much of predicting the future, but of standing and proclaiming the truth in the present. That's my gift. So if someone comes with a word of prophecy, the Bible tells me to test prophecies. Don't get rid of them. First Thessalonians 5, just test them. Somebody may have a word about the future for me or for Strong Tower. Someone may have a tongue, a, a revelatory tongue. We have to test it. I'll tell you in a moment how we do that, okay? So tongue spoken to God. Look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. He says, therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. So if God's given you a word and he's revealing that in your spirit, pray for an interpretation. For if I pray in a tongue, here he says it, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit and I will also sing with the understanding. Stop right here. Some people have that gift. And I know some people who don't have the gift, they're like, wait a minute now. Do they have an advantage over me? Because they up here, they can pray in English and in, as Paul said, the tongues of angels. Hold up. Did God give them an advantage? No, he didn't. God gave them a different gift than he gave you. Because when it comes time to pray, when it comes time to worship, God is not concerned with what's coming out of your mouth. He's more concerned about the condition of our hearts. I've met a lot of people who speak in English and will cuss you out in the next sentence. They'll talk about Jesus and cuss you. 
I've met people praying in tongues, then they'll cuss you in the parking lot. So it's not about what comes out of your mouth. It's about the condition of your heart, which is what God is more concerned with anyway. Because he said in Matthew, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So when I'm praying and when I'm singing, when I'm making a joyful noise and I'm off pitch and off tune, God ain't even listening to how it's hitting him. He's looking at Chris's heart. So if you speak in an unknown language, he's listening to your heart. Ah, thank God. And then I've had people say, man, you know what, man, look, man, when I pray in tongues, the devil don't know what I'm saying. So they're trying to say, you know, that I have an advantage because when I pray in English, he know what I'm saying. Let's see here. When I pray, I'm supposed to pray according to the will of God. The will of God is found in the word of God. And uh, the devil knows the word of God. He knows the will of God. The thing is, when I start praying in the will of God, which is based on the word of God, regardless of what uh, grammar I speak in, he can't stop it anyway. And just think about it. He used to be an angel that fell. So if you're speaking according to an angelic language, he already knows that language anyway. That's the stuff we do to try to one-up the other. Any servants here? I'll go down. I'll serve. I don't have to be right. But I ain't going to let you drop no mess on me either, though. No, no, no. Or when we have people come and say, you shouldn't be doing that. And God gave you that? Who do they think they are? Mm -mm -mm. Let me carry on in the verse. Verse 16. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Now look at verse 22. He says, therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. Again, this goes back to what we said at first. Tongues spoken to men, they are a sign to unbelievers. It lets them know that the Lord is moving. The gospel is being validated. We saw that in Acts 2 and Acts 10. It lets unbelievers know that God has saved and validated a group of people, whether they were 120 in the upper room or Gentiles who had just come into the body of Christ. And then it says, but prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Stay with me on this because he kind of says something that on first it looks contradictory. When he says prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe, what he's talking about here is prophecy that brings edification to Christians. That builds up the body. Unbelievers can't get this kind of prophecy because they don't have the Holy Spirit in them. The Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us the word of God. So when you're prophesying and teaching the things of God to unbelievers, they don't get it because it's foolishness to them because these things have to be spiritually discerned and they don't have the Holy Spirit. Amen. So is he going to contradict himself in the next verse? He says in verse 23, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Wait a minute. I thought you said tongues were a sign for unbelievers. Tongues spoken to men in known languages is a sign for unbelievers. But tongues spoken to God will have unbelievers in the church thinking y'all crazy up in there. What's, what's the matter? What, what's going on? 
Then he says in verse 24, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all and he is convicted by all. So wait a minute. I thought you said that prophecy wasn't for unbelievers, but now you're saying an unbeliever can come into the church when there's prophecy and be convinced and convicted by all. No, therefore, this is prophecy of an evangelistic flavor. An unbeliever can hear the word in terms of his or her need to be born again. And as it says in verse 25, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. I know it sounds confusing. It has confused me over and over many a times. But God has given me insight. So there, tongues spoken to men and tongues spoken to God. Tongue spoken to men, more of an evangelistic thrust. Tongue spoken to God, more of a worship. It can confuse unbelievers. Prophecy in terms of edification for the body is not for unbelievers, but prophecy by way of evangelism, like we even saw Peter do in Acts 2. Unbelievers will say, my God is among you. So, Lord, help us discern and use this gift properly. Well, just a few observations. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. You can't be a Christian without, without the Holy Spirit. Every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. And you had no say over what gift you would receive. He gives the gifts as he pleases. Some Christians have the gift of prophecy. That's my gift, to proclaim the word. Some are able to predict the future, but you have to test it. Some Christians have the gift of tongues. They speak to men. They speak to God. There are diverse tongues mentioned in Scripture. The greater spiritual gifts, I love this, they are not the sign gifts or the speaking gifts. They are the serving gifts. So when he says you should pursue the greater gifts, he's not saying the gifts that get you up front, that speak or do signs so people can say, look at him. No, you get a serving gift where it's not about look at you because we don't even see you because you're serving. Now, here's how he breaks it down with the body. He said, man, your face don't need any special presentation. People see your face. But God gives greater glory to the parts of the body that can't be seen, like your internal organs. How many of us thank God for the kidney today? How many of us thank God for our heart and our lungs today and our spleen and everything else that's in there that I can't even name? Paul says those are the great, because I can do without an eyeball, I can do without an ear, I can do without a nose, I can do without lips, I can do without teeth. Stuff you see first, I can do without hair. Some of us have been doing without hair for a long time. And he's saying that's not the most important thing. The preaching and the teaching and all the upfront stuff. If we had a church full of servants, had a church full of heartbeats and, and kidneys and gallbladders, and uh, if we had a church full of all of these inside, how about in your house? Them dishes been sitting there for hours, sometimes days. Somebody think a maid works here. But I tell you what, if somebody just got up and started working in the house, man, if the church and the house, everybody just served, everybody would be served. But we just keep waiting for the mother folk to come clean up this stuff. He's saying at Corinth, man, pursue that stuff, church. Stop pursuing tongues and problems. Somebody go clean a bathroom up in the church. And don't do it looking for applause. I'm over here cleaning. I'm over here cleaning. Y'all see me. I'm over here. Man, we have a revival if people just said, I'm serving up in here. We know the Holy Ghost is working. Why? Because Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve. Mm, oh, I love that. 
tongues have not ceased. So I'm going to say that to my conservative evangelical brothers. They need to cease saying that tongues have ceased. Why? Because if there is one legitimate occurrence since the so-called days of the apostles, where many of them say that the gifts died when the apostles died. Now, I believe certain expressions of those gifts died, but I'm not going to say the gifts died because if there was one legitimate occurrence of someone speaking in tongues or prophesying after the so-called apostolic age, that means that God is working outside of our systematic theological box. And I'm not going to say the Azusa revival was not God. I'm not going to say that different revivals were tongues, and I'm not saying that that's not God. Who do I think I am? And God is changing lives and changing communities, and who do I think I am? So therefore, tongues are not to be forbidden. Paul said that. However, a preoccupation with the gift of tongues can be a sign of spiritual immaturity. If that's all you talk about is tongues, 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 tongues. Now listen, the Holy Spirit didn't came to come to glorify himself. Jesus said he would come to glorify me. So if the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, we're going to be talking about Jesus and less about tongues. Amen. I know I'm, I know I'm outside of my polychronic time. <laughs> if tongues of worship or intercession are resident in members of the church, they should be spoken quietly to God so as not to confuse unbelievers who may be present. I want to thank you for doing that. If people, everybody start talking in tongues in the church, they're out of order. If tongues of prophetic revelation are present in a church service, God gives you a word. They should operate in order and with an interpreter. In order means you come and talk to the pastor. God gave me a word. I'll then ask, is there an interpreter here? And then if there is not an interpreter, you keep that word to yourself, and maybe God will reveal it to you later. But if there is an interpreter, someone else who can rise up and interpret what you're going to say to the church in a revelatory tongue, then we are going to test what is being said. And if it ain't right, you will never be given that microphone again. We don't play. Paul said in the public gathering of the saints, prophecy is preferred over tongues. Finally, love is the primary evidence or fruit of the Holy Spirit's presence in a Christian's life. What's the evidence of the Holy Ghost? Tongues, fire baptized. No, love. I'll ask the choir to come back up right now. We're going to close with a song. And as they're closing, I will say that there are two types of tongues mentioned in the Bible. Tongues spoken to men and tongues spoken to God. God determines who receives which gifts. Some of us have the gift of prophecy. And some of us have the gift of tongues. Some of us are like Paul who has the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues. But here's the thing, different gifts, same spirit. Different gifts, same spirit. You are looking at a born-again child of God. I know I may not look like much to you, but I'm loved on by God, and I'm his child. I have been baptized by the spirit, indwelt by the spirit, sealed with the spirit, Filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, taught by the Spirit, anointed by the Spirit, sanctified by the Spirit, enabled by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, comforted by the Spirit, convicted by the Spirit, emboldened by the Spirit, and gifted by the Spirit. But in all of these experiences with the Holy Spirit, I have never spoken in tongues. 
and neither am I looking to speak in tongues. Because if God has that for me, I would have experienced it. And I don't need to speak in tongues to have a gateway to greater power because I know folks who speak in tongues who go through the same struggles that I do. <laughs> so don't, don't tell me it's a gateway to greater power. Greater power to do what? Mm -mm. I've been a partaker of the divine nature since 1984. So praise God for what you have. Praise God for what I have. And if your experience with God is similar to mine, you know him, but he didn't give you that gift of speaking in tongues. Would you join me by standing on your feet? If you know the Lord, but you've never spoken in tongues, just stand on your feet and remain standing. Okay. Remain standing. If you are a born-again child of God and you have been baptized by the Spirit, indwelt by the Spirit, sealed with the Spirit until the day of redemption, filled with the Holy Ghost, led by the Spirit, taught by the Spirit, anointed by the Spirit, sanctified by the Spirit, enabled by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, comforted by the Spirit, convicted by the Spirit, emboldened by the Spirit. If you've been gifted by the Spirit and you speak in tongues, would you stand? Now, remain steady. Amen. I give God glory because not many churches can have this kind of diversity. I give God glory for this because this is just a taste of, of heaven. Now, some of us couldn't stand, and maybe we couldn't stand because we don't know Jesus. If you want to know Jesus, you say, Jesus, come into my life. Save me. I want to be your child. I want to be your son. I want to be your daughter. Forgive me, Jesus, of my sins. I believe you are the Christ. You died for me. You wrote, Jesus, save me. And if you've never prayed that prayer or something like it, Jesus, save me. And you say right now, Pastor Chris, yeah, it's my time. If that's you and you're not standing, would you like to stand right now? Is it? testimony of receiving Christ right now? Is there anyone? Is there anyone? If you stood and I can't see, you wave your hand. Amen. Well, we are one, but we are not the same. And that's good. We are people from every nation and tongue. From generation to generation, we are people who praise and worship the Lord. Why? Because he's been good to me. He didn't have to save me, yet alone even give me a gift. But I'm so thankful to have been included. You are good all the time, all the time. You are good. And by the way, when we get to heaven, we're all going to have the perfect gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues. Pastor, why do you say that? Because there will be people from every nation, tribe, kindred, and tongue. And they will be speaking in their native language as much as we will speak. Why do we assume that when we get to heaven, we're speaking in English? No, we're speaking in our different languages. So when we get to heaven, I'm going to understand Choctaw. I'm going to understand Aruba. I'm going to understand all these different languages. And they're going to understand me. So I'll be able to speak in languages, understand languages. But I don't have to wait to heaven to have that kind of unity. Because right now, people from every nation and tongue, from generation to generation. Let's sing it. Hit it. Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. Say, Lord, you 